everybody, my name is Megan. And I am glad to be in church with you today. My husband, Jono, and I are the campus pastors in Shepherdsville. And I'm really, really excited to be continuing our series today called Long Story Short. How many of you enjoyed last week's message with Pastor Jason? I did too. I'm really excited today. Over the next 10 weeks, we are going to cover the whole entire Bible from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. We're going to be playing kind of a game of connect the dots, as Pastor Jason said. We're going to be connecting it from one story to another, trying to understand the big picture of what we know to be the Bible and try to understand the God who wrote it. So the Bible can be a little bit intimidating. I will definitely be the first one to tell you that. My personal experience, truthfully, as a young Christian, I skipped over a lot of the Old Testament because it was really, really long. There's a lot of names in there I didn't understand. I found it to be kind of boring. Uh, but I'm here today to share with you uh, some good stuff about the Old Testament and tell you that it's definitely not boring. <laughs> There's a lot of great stuff in there. So last week, we started in the series by talking about creation and Adam and Eve and sin. Pastor Jason showed us how sin promises to make things better but always makes things worse. That's right, and that's exactly what happened. We see it page after page unfolding, chapter after chapter. Things just really get bad. In chapter 4 of Genesis, we see a brother kills a brother. In chapter 6, the world is so evil and wicked that God flooded the entire thing, this very earth, flooded it, just started over with a guy named Noah and his family. Then you move down to chapter 9. After the flood, Noah gets a little crunk one night and accidentally exposes himself to his, bro uh, his family there and divides that whole family. So like I said, Old Testament's not boring. A little bit crazy. In chapter 11, humans decide that they just don't really need God anymore and that they can do things on their own. They don't need him. So they build this tower and they try to reach all the way up to heaven and none of that just turns out good for any of us at all. Before sin, everything was good, but after sin, it's chaos, it's shame, it's death, wickedness, because that's what sin creates. And that brings us to our story today. But the question is, what is God going to do about all of this? What is he going to do now? What is he going to do with a humanity that loves its wickedness, that turns away from him? What is he going to do? Sinful people who keep turning their back on the creator. And before we do see that and jump into some scripture, I want to ask you a question today. What would you do if you were all powerful and if you were God and the people that you created decided to choose something completely different? They didn't want much to do with you. They wanted to be stuck in their sin and their wicked ways. What would you do? I know what I do when my kids don't do what I say they should do. That's not pretty good. <laughs> Doesn't turn out pretty good that way. Now, God doesn't do what we would or what we think he would do. It's funny because he flooded the earth before, but it's not like he does that again. It's not like he sends lightning bolts down and just destroys everyone and says, look, I made a mistake. I'm not doing this anymore. No. God's plan now is to send his son, Jesus, and for him to die on a cross for our sin and forgive us of it. Pay the penalty that we deserved. But see, he doesn't do this for about 4,000 more years. But in Genesis 12, God lets us in on his plan when he has a conversation with a man named Abraham. How many of you have ever heard of Abraham? That's who we're going to be talking about today. 
There's a scripture in Genesis that I want to start with, and I'm going to put it up on the screen for you here. But if you have your Bible, you could turn to Genesis chapter 12, which is where we're going to start today. There's either one underneath the seat in front of you, or there's one right there next to you in your seat. So we're going to read this together. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, which is Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, which is his promise. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. I love that. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. It's good. Good promise. But the most important thing about that is the very last line. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. That's my favorite part about that. Because right there we get a glimpse of the plan, the 4,000-year plan. What he's really talking about there is Jesus. He's going to start with Abraham, and he's going to create a nation and a family lineage that leads all the way to the Savior of the world. So in other words, he tells him, my plan to fix this broken world is your family tree. Imagine that. 4,000-year plan, he sets into motion, and he tells this guy about it. 42 generations of family, to be exact. So let me show you where this is in the New Testament really quick. Flip over, if you will, to Matthew chapter 1. This is in the New Testament, so you're going to have to flip, do a little bit of flipping all the way to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. You might have read this before, maybe starting to read the Bible. You're like, let me start in the New Testament. Jesus is in there, right? You start there, and you get to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, you're like, what is all of this? There's a bunch of names that I cannot pronounce. Well, you might have wondered, why is this in the Bible? I'm going to share that with you, why it's in there right now. So it said, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And now we're going to skip down to verse 17 to finish that because, again, there's a lot of names in there. Above those, all, all those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Jesus. Jesus the Messiah. 42 generations. This is a huge deal in the Bible. A huge, huge promise. Because God tried fixing some things, and man kind of just messed it up. So what does he do now? He says to Abraham, this guy who we're going to talk about today, through your family, through all these people that we read about in the Bible, I'm going to bring the Messiah He's going to die. He doesn't tell him that, but he does. We know the story. He's going to forgive everyone of their sins so they have a chance to be forgiven and to be in heaven with me. Pretty cool, huh? So the rest of the Old Testament, I'm talking all the way from Genesis to the last page of Malachi. It's most of the, the famous people you've ever heard of. They're all in this family. So Moses, David, King David, we talk about him a lot. He's in this lineage. David and Goliath, those stories. Jonah and the whale, Samson. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are all part of Abraham's family tree all the way to Jesus. So God's plan to save humanity from their wickedness is for a man to start a family. And eventually, 42 generations later, a teenage girl named Mary would have a visit from an angel. 
and would tell her that she's going to give birth to the Savior of the world. It's a pretty big deal. A huge deal, actually. The best deal ever. A huge promise. Wow. Amazing. This man's family is going to be made into a nation. This is, some of y'all have some big families, you know, big family reunions, 30 plus. I'm talking a nation, a lot of people. And we call it today Israel, the nation of Israel. And they're God's chosen people. So this is all mind-blowing and this is all fantastic. But there seems to be one teeny tiny little, little big problem with that. It's actually kind of a big problem. You see, when God tells Abraham this, this wonderful, awesome promise, the problem is that he's really old. <laughs> he's 75 years old, in fact, when Abraham tells him that he's going to make a nation out of him. And he doesn't have any kids. <laughs> His entire 75 years, he didn't have a son to have more children, to make more children, to make this nation that God's talking about. And his wife, Sarah, can't get pregnant. Not to say they haven't tried. I'm sure for years they did. I'm sure that was their dream. But that's the issue they're being faced with, and that's the circumstance in which God presents this promise to him. So natural, he's like, what? <laughs> really, God? How are you going to do that? How is God going to make a family tree into a nation with a 75-year-old dude and a, and a woman who can't get pregnant? At that age, I probably would have given up trying to have kids. Just being honest. I would have looked at God and said, you're a little late. <laughs> I don't even know if I want to have a baby right now, 75 years old. But this is their circumstance. And God tells them this right then. God didn't give them any kids, even though I'm sure they did try. 75 years old, he tells them this. So maybe you're here today and you're in a similar situation. Not saying you're 75 years old and going to have a baby. Please don't think that. <laughs> Not wishing that on you right now. But maybe you've got a dream or, or maybe you've got an idea or a goal that you set inside your heart or that God has shown you or even just a plan for your life and you had an idea about how it was supposed to go. And maybe it's not like that right now. Maybe things aren't quite turning out the way you thought they would. Or maybe some bumps are happening along the way. Or maybe it's just taking a lot longer than you thought it would. Maybe you're trying to sell a house and this is really important for you, but it's been listed on the market for too many days, and it's not working. What are we going to do? Where are we going to live? Maybe you feel like you've been on 15 dates this last two months, and, and you know, you're trying to find that special someone, but they just don't keep coming up, and you think you're going to be alone forever. It's taking too long. This isn't the picture that I had. This isn't the promise God had for me. It doesn't look the way I thought it would. Maybe you want to retire, and you've pushed back that date a few times, and everyone's like, why haven't you retired yet? But you really just need to tell everybody, I can't afford it. I want to, but I can't. This isn't the plan, but. Or maybe you want a happy marriage, but your spouse can't forgive you or move past your past or some of your failures. Maybe you've been battling an addiction, but you can't conquer it yet. Maybe you want a family member to know Jesus, but they want nothing to do with church. It's just not the picture I had for my family. Maybe you, you meant to have this perfect job. You always pictured you'd go to school and you'd get a job doing what you love because it's, it's what you love to do, but you're stuck doing something else because you can't get that job. It's not here now. This isn't the picture that I had 
for my life, God. This isn't the dream that you gave me. But, but, but. Abraham and Sarah's but was that they were older. Biologically, time had just gone by. It didn't seem like that was possible. It didn't seem like that's the plan that they wanted. They thought too much time had passed. So what in your life has taken too long? What can't you wait to be done with right now? I can't wait for sickness to be done with my family. Excuse me. <laughs> I feel like that's taking a little bit long in this winter season. But seriously, what can't you wait to be done with? So through the scripture and others that I want to share with you today, I want, to, I want us to understand that God's timing is frustrating, can be extremely frustrating, but that doesn't mean that he's made some kind of mistake in our lives. I want you to know that today. I want you to know that every time that you have the thought, why are things looking this way? Why haven't they changed? When are they going to look the way I want them to? When are they going to resemble this dream that you've given me? I want you to know that. God didn't make a mistake. Every time you see a negative pregnancy test, every time you feel a need to get high, every time a lawyer bill comes in the mail, Every time you get rejected, I want you to know that God isn't mad. That you didn't do anything to put God on pause. I want you to know that it's just not time yet. It's just not time yet. Here's our big idea for the, today that I want us to all know. Write it down. Take a note somewhere if you need to. Hide it deep inside your heart. It says, while you're waiting, God is working. While you're waiting, God is working. I've talked to a lot of people in growth groups, just in church. And sometimes when I'm talking to them, I, I kind of hear this resounding thing like, oh, things are good. Like, I have faith. Like, I love Jesus. I, you know, I love church. But, but my life doesn't look the way I wanted it to. I'm 50 years old, but I've got a dream. I've got a plan, but I'm struggling in this area. I can't seem to get a hold of it, but while you're waiting for that promise, God is working. While you are waiting for the good things to come, God is working. He didn't make a mistake. He's not on pause. He's still working. When you think he's left you, he hasn't. When you think this circumstance will last forever, it won't. And when you break down and you're ready to give up, God isn't. And since we don't have a book of your life already written out and we can't just skip some chapters ahead and see the great news that we're going to see at the end of the story, we are going to see what happened to Abraham and Sarah. Because I still believe that God is going to test our faith just like he did with them. We're going to learn that it's okay to doubt. That's a natural thing to do. But that sometimes waiting causes us to be strengthened in our faith and that sometimes tests are happening during that entire season of you just kind of waiting for things to get better. So let's take a look at those today. I want to share with you three ways that your faith will be tested while you're waiting on God. Three ways. We're going to talk about those. We're going to read some scripture. You can fill in the blanks. We're going to go kind of quickly through these. But I want to talk to you about them today. The first way your faith will be tested is through delays. Everyone say delays. Delays. Man, I hate delays. Mm -mm -mm. You guys ever get caught by a train? No? 
we need to come to the altar. Ever get stuck by a train? My goodness, delays. Ever get stuck on a layover in the airport and you got to make best friends with the person sitting next to you? You don't even know who they are. So worried about getting sick and stuff. And you got to fight for your little outlet with them, trying to charge your phone so it doesn't die. Delays. Gosh, can't stand delays. There's a scripture in Genesis chapter 17 says this. When Abram was 99 years old, okay, we read a scripture earlier, he was 75, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. Not many times in the Bible does God guarantee anything, but it's right there. That's the guarantee. Wait, Megan. Didn't we read somewhere that he did that already? Yep, we did. God told him another time. As a matter of fact, God tells him three times that it's going to happen. All through those times, his life is still going on, and guess what? There's no baby. Nothing is happening. So God might have even given you a promise and told you exactly what's going to happen. Still years are going by. Ain't seen it yet. That's exactly what happened here. Delays. Abram was 99 years old then, which means 20 plus years has just gone by and still no baby. That's hard to have faith for 20 years that you're going to have a child when you see none. I can only imagine that as soon as they heard that, and maybe they were really, really excited, told someone about it, a year goes by, negative pregnancy tests. Another year goes by, negative pregnancy tests. They're like, I thought God told you he was going to make many nations of you. What's going on? Talk about trying to be patient. 20 years. Abraham is 75 when God first tells him, and 99 later on. That is a test of patience. And see, Abraham did struggle to believe. That's natural. That's a human thing, right? Especially because he goes to Egypt, and it says that war breaks out. He loses his nephew, Law, and all during this time, life is still happening. No baby. No promise. Sometimes God delays them to teach us something. God didn't forget. He didn't just get busy. He doesn't ignore us. He doesn't ignore you. For one reason or another, God delayed it. And that was always the plan, guys. That's what's difficult. And I understand that too. But God kept told him this at 75, but the plan was always for him to be born at 99. So maybe for you, God has given you this plan, and it's dragging on. This dream is dragging on. God knows when it's supposed to happen. And it is hard to wait. But sometimes maybe you're just stuck in a little delay. Whatever dream God has put in our heart is almost always going to take longer than we think. But just because we don't see God working doesn't mean he's not. And the hardest thing God is going to ever ask us to do is nothing is wait, especially when you're on just like Jesus high. You're like, yes, everything's going awesome. I love Jesus so much. I feel like I'm just on top of a mountain with my faith. And as soon as you start praying for this one specific thing, God, I know you have a promise for my life. And he's just quiet. There's nothing. That is the hardest time for your faith to remain strong. I have a little story to tell you. <laughs> 
I had a thousand piece puzzle. I came across this thousand piece puzzle and I decided to put this thousand piece puzzle together just because for a hobby. And some people still do that, just letting you know. They buy puzzles. The puzzles are still on shelves and they put them together and people love that. People like me. So if you want to buy me a puzzle, you can. Thousand piece puzzle. I get this thousand piece puzzle. And I bring it home. And I've got these two little boys. Some of you know them, Judah and Silas. They're my twins. They're four. I try to hide this puzzle because, of course, it looks like a game. You can't hide things from your kids, just letting you know. That should be a point. You can't hide things from your kids. They find it. They find this puzzle, and they get so excited. They're like, Mom, let's do this puzzle. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. So I get this puzzle out, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe it's nice to have some help. Family memory, good mom award. We'll just do this puzzle together. It's going to be fine. So I dumped the whole thing out. It was awful. <laughs> it was awful, you guys. They're just, in a matter of a minute, I'm starting with rule number one, which is find the, find the corner pieces, right? It's the first thing you do with a puzzle. You get the corners laid out. It's what I do. They just, all the colors mesh together, and they don't even know colors right now. They know, like, blue and green, and that's it. So they're elbowing each other. They're fighting over the puzzle pieces. They're jamming pieces together that don't fit, and I'm yelling at them because if you break it, that's it. Like, the puzzle doesn't fit together, and I, there's no end result at that point, and I'm getting frustrated, and so are they. And all the blue pieces look like the same 52 blue pieces. So four-year-olds have no place doing thousand-piece puzzles, just letting you know. I tried it. It doesn't work. Just letting you know. Piece of experience. So... That whole time, I'm done. I put the puzzle away, and I'm just like, this was horrible. <laughs> We're not doing this thousand-piece puzzle. And so I, I gave it some thought, and I thought, you know what? That's kind of how our relationship with God is and, and our dreams sometimes, right? We have this great big picture. Like, we get this really ambitious dream, which is great. Dream. Have God set something inside of your heart. Be ambitious with it. But just know, the bigger that puzzle the more tiny little pieces that have to fit together and the longer it takes to do that puzzle. Maybe the boys could have done a 10-piece puzzle. I don't know. They sure didn't do a 1,000-piece puzzle very well. I'm like, okay, I get it, God. I hear you. Sometimes big-picture things take some time, and I want to rush it, and I want to jam those pieces together, and I want to get it done but it can't get done fast. You've got to think about it. You've got to take it one day at a time, one step at a time, and that's not easy. I want to read you a scripture in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11 says, it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child. Though she was barren and was too old, she believed that God would keep his promise. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. They can't see it. So he'll test us through delays. Another way that we are going to be tested while you wait, number two, is through failure. Failures. This one's great. Everyone, anyone ever just make a huge mistake, fall flat on your face? in front of people, <laughs> me, <laughs> all the time. It's okay. It's okay. Just got to forgive yourself. Failures. I want to read a scripture in Genesis. It's chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. It says, Now Sarai, who is Sarah, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. 
but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. So Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, gave her to Abram as his wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar. She became pregnant. And when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarah, with contempt. Now, reading this, hearing this, you might think, wow, that wasn't smart. Why'd they do that? But how often do we try to take situations into our own hands, out of God's hands, and try to fix them? You're probably thinking of one right now. I am too. Because we just want what we want when we want it, and we want it right now. Even as an adult, that's me. I don't even want to wait a week for a box to come in the mail. I'm like, can we prime it, please? I don't even like waiting in line to get food. Impatience is something that's just ground into us daily. Like, I'll tell you really, really quick. I just got Spectrum, and we got this really great package, and I thought we were going to get an awesome deal on Internet. And, like, when two laptops are open, I can't load anything. And I'm like, ugh, like screaming at the top of my lungs, like, why do I have to wait for a page to load? And then God reminds me of, like, DSL and dial-up. Like, we used to have that. I forgot. But I hate waiting for things. Don't like that either. We try to fix it. We try to upgrade it on our own. We try to make things happen on our own time because waiting stinks. Sometimes we've said, I've waited long enough and I know what will work. Blank. Try to fix it. But we can really mess things up when we don't put our 100% trust in God. We see that all throughout the Bible. Now, I'm not saying that we mess things up when we doubt God because doubt is not the same thing as trust. It's normal to doubt things. I doubt things all the time. I definitely don't trust infomercials. I definitely don't trust weight loss routines. I doubt those. I don't trust some text messages some people send on my way. Doubt it. Mm, I don't know. I do that. I lie about that all the time sometimes. Pray. Pray for me. But anybody who's confident that they control, uh, can control a situation is putting their trust in themselves and not God. I got this. It's going to be fine. I'll get us through. Not God get us through. I'll get us through. It's all right. I can put this on my own two shoulders. I've been resourceful my whole life. It's going to be fine. I'll figure things out. I won't console God. Don't need him. What do I need him for? But a lack of trust in God can bring other people into the picture that were never intended to be there, can cause mistakes to happen, mistakes to be made. This was a rough road for Hagar. I don't know if you have read this yet. Go back and read a little bit about Hagar. We don't have time to get into it today. But later she's banished into the desert and forced to live there for the rest of her life. If we're not careful, our impatience can cause ourselves and other people a world of heartache. And I think that there's a line. You know, I think God does want us to be wise about certain situations. But taking them into our own hands. See, that's different. Doubt is uncertainty, while trust is confidence. Where is your confidence? Is it in yourself or is it in God? Don't make that mistake. Try not to make that failure happen. So number three, the last way that we're going to be tested while we're waiting is through obedience. 
This is probably my favorite one in the story of Abraham. Obedience. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. It literally says that. God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and, listen to this, sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Megan, are you meaning to tell me that God literally asked Abraham to kill his kid? Yeah. And you guys saw the Old Testament. It was boring. Yeah. Take your son whom you love and sacrifice him. What? Why would God ask him to do that? Why would God ask him to take the son that he loved, the very promise that he waited 99 years for? What, God? Sometimes the things God asks us to do seem ridiculous. What? Take it to a mountain. But you know, Abraham didn't do a lot of things well. He wasn't a perfect dude, didn't have perfect faith. But you know, the one thing he did really, really well is obey God. Obey God, because guess what he did? He took his son up the mountain. He got the wood. He did it all. And now the dialogue and, and, and what we read here in the Bible doesn't say what Abraham thought. But I cannot imagine that that was easy for him. I cannot imagine. Can you? Taking your kid up a mountain? Not even that, a kid that you waited so long for and prayed for, all those negative pregnancy tests, telling all your family members that God has put a promise, and for 20 years it was never there. Finally, he is. This is the ultimate test of obedience in the Bible. That's it. This one test. Now, luckily, God hasn't asked us to do specifically this. But I do believe that he will test our obedience in different ways. I do believe that he struggled with this. Uh, a little bit of scripture from that part, it says, As the two of them walked together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the offering? Abraham says this. This is so amazing. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, said Abraham. And they both walked on together. Abraham said that in faith because guess what? There was no sheep. Isaac was the sheep. He knew that God loved him enough to provide a sheep. He knew that would happen, saying it in faith, hoping. But even if it didn't, he still marched his son up the mountain. And see, that's where he passed the test. See, we, we hope and we trust and we believe that God has great plans for our life. And even when he asks us to do really hard things that can be confusing and can ask us to lay down some stuff to change our lifestyles, to do things we've never done before, 
We pass the test of obedience because even though it's hard, we do them anyway. Do it anyway. Why are you asking me to do this? Just do it and see. See what God will do with your obedience. He'll ask us to love people that we currently hate. He'll ask us to change our attitudes. He'll ask us to forgive someone who has wronged us. He'll ask us to cut off some friendships. He'll ask us to start tithing. He'll ask us to start fasting. He'll ask us to serve more. He'll ask us to do these things and we're like, that's hard. I don't know if I want to do that. That's a test of obedience. And I can honestly say that even though it's confusing, if you just try it, just try and obey, just try and do what God says, even if it's confusing and hard, that God won't let you down, that you'll be pleasantly surprised at the end. Just letting you know he doesn't die. (laughs) Felt like I left you hanging a little bit there. Isaac doesn't die. And God does provide a ram. He provides a sheep for a sacrifice. That was seriously the hardest scripture I probably ever read in the Bible. Because the whole time I'm thinking, are you going to ask me to do something this crazy, God? Maybe. Maybe something really difficult for me or something difficult for you that God might ask you to do in your relationship with him. And it's just a test of obedience. It's hard to get through on our own. But try God. See what's on the other side of that. So the three ways that our faith are going to be tested while we're waiting is through delays. Things not happening on our time frame. Through failures. Trying to fix things on our own. Making some mistakes along the way. Hitting some bumps. And through obedience. And as you're sitting here today, maybe at a time in your life where your dream is taking its time, do me a favor. Go home. Look at yourself in the mirror tonight or maybe when you get ready for work tomorrow morning and say, it's worth it. It's worth the wait. It is going to be worth the wait. Because God is faithful all throughout the Bible. That's what we learn from Genesis to Revelation. This story of love, this story of redemption, of God doing everything he can, including sending his son just to be with us, just to share the love with us. God's desire is for the promises in your life to come true of unconditional love, of eternal life, of blessing and prosperity. Give him a chance. Give him a try. And I promise you won't be let down. I want to read one more scripture for you, and then we'll pray together. Genesis 21, verses 1 and 2 said, The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant. She gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. And this happened at just the time God had said it would. It'll happen when it's going to happen. And it's going to be worth the wait. Let's pray. God. I thank you for placing a dream in me and a promise in me. And I thank you for thinking about me even thousands of years ago with Abraham when you chose him to start the family of Jesus. 
God, I hope that as you put the pieces of my life together, that I wouldn't tire of the small and seemingly insignificant days, but, but that I would learn that you're working something mighty in me even when it doesn't feel like you are. God, I trust that your timing is always perfect, and I believe that you know what's best for my life. God, and I give you complete control. So help me, God. Help me to love your word. Help me to understand your will. And help me, God, in this time of waiting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.